Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And I want everyone to know that we're recording in a very crazy situation today because technically Skype has crashed, which is the technology we use to bring ourselves into your homes every week. And we're just going with it. We're letting it crash in the background, but it's still somehow recording. So... Even in the future, nothing works is kind of where I want to go with this. Um, as I mentioned before, Ben and I are a pair of uh, automotive journalists. We've got some cars to talk to you about this week, some enthusiast-oriented cars. Isn't that right, Ben? Yes. But before we get to that, I wanted to make sure that our listeners know where they can read and see some of your work, Ben, because you're just so special. What are some of the latest publications that your work has appeared on? Uh, you can find me in Automobile, in Super Street, Driving Line, and Auto Trader. How about that? Beautiful. And you can find most of my work on AutoGuide, but recently I've been found on AutoTrader.ca, as well as all Ford Mustangs, which is nice. All so, Ford Mustangs. Nothing else. <laughs> Actually, you'll be surprised. There's a lot of other things there than just Ford Mustangs. But hey, let's talk about something else. Does that, uh, we've does got that some... mean I have to go to JustFordMustangs.net? To get my to get your exclusive? exclusive, yeah, that's right. To get your exclusive Ford Mustang content, what just about Ford Mustang. Nothing but Stangs dot Uh, yeah, I think it should be there. There should be. Some, I don't write for them, so I'm not no exactly the biggest. <laughs> I'm not the the proponent. Of, I'm not the biggest pusher. They won't accept any of my pitches. Which is that my problem. slate exists exclusively to steal your identity. So, <laughs> and they're always like, "No, you mentioned another car in this in this uh, story. There's no way it's going to be on just Ford Mustangs." Right. Ben, what are you what are you talking about this week, man? I uh, I spent a lot of time behind the wheel of a 2019 Volkswagen Golf R last week. A lot of time. That always yes. sounds so funny. Like, is that more than usual? Is that what you're saying? Twelve hours, I think. Uh, I went on an extended road trip, and I put a lot of miles on the car, and it kind of gave me a new appreciation of the car. And I'm glad that I did that. Uh, we talked about the GTI earlier this summer, I think back yeah, in May. Yeah, the Rabbit Edition that you had, which yeah. was a very weird um, subject, I think. So my previous experiences with the Golf R have been mostly either around town or in a performance environment. So kind of pushing the car hard or commuting with it, but not over an extremely long distance. And the, the, the version of the car I had – so I just want to point out that 2019 is the last year for the Golf R in the United States. It is disappearing for at least two years. Maybe one year. It depends. What um, What is this time gate? What is this time locked content that so they have for us? It's either twenty 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 or twenty twenty one model. Um, is it's coming back? But I think it's coming back in twenty twenty one because in the U.S. the Golf is gone. It is disappearing completely. The GTI will come back, and then eventually the Golf R. But no regular golfs anymore because nobody really bought them. <laughs> so the Jetta is taking over on the entry level front for Volkswagen. But the Golf R, the current model, will disappear definitely at the end of this year, and I think there's going to be at least a gap year. So, okay, hold on. So you're telling me this Golf R is going away, but you got to drive one, and you're going to tell us all if it's going away for a good reason or if everyone was really not paying attention when this thing showed up and they no, should have bought more of them. The, like, Golf what's the, story is, here? the Golf R is not disappearing through any fault of its own. The car itself... No, it's clearly our fault for not buying it. Well, no. I mean, Canada still gets the Golf as far as I know. I'm not sure about that completely. But the, the R is just disappearing because I think the Mark 8 Golf, the Mark 8, I believe, is the one that's coming. It's, uh, it's going to be quite different. And I'm not sure if the Golf R is ready for the North American market yet. And by um, different, you mean it's going to be a crossover, probably? No, I just think it's going to have a, a significantly updated interior, uh, for one. 
and it's just going to be more upscale. It makes sense. Volkswagen is, you know, in pulling the regular Golf, they're going to need profit margins because they won't have volume. I mean, not that they ever had volume, but uh, in any case, the, the Jetta was always their play for volume. In yeah, the in Jetta North does. America. The Jetta does really well. Uh, the but the Golf does really well everywhere else except right. the United States. Right. So anyway, okay. So back to this golf bar. Tell so me. I had a I had a, a DSG powered car. So the seven speed automatic, which is not my favorite version of the vehicle. I find that the manual car is much more engaging to drive. But it turns out that that doesn't matter when you're doing a long road trip because what you really want is a car that's comfortable, smooth, and powerful enough to get out of its own way. And what I really realized by the end of the time that I'd spent with this vehicle is that I don't think the golf bar is a hot hatch. What? What do you mean by that? I mean, it's got all the characteristics of a hot hatch. One, uh, it's a hatchback. Two, it's got a more powerful engine than the non-hot hatchback version of the car. Three, it's fun to drive. I think that's that's the key elements of a Is it though? hot hatch. Isn't it? Is it, though? See, that last point, I'm not so sure, Sammy. Uh I think that what Volkswagen has done with the Golf R is they've actually built a stealth executive car in the compact segment. Wow, my eyes are rolling so hard. I just went blind for like a minute and your Skype just crashed because of it. What kind of – no wonder your Skype is crashing for you saying something as obnoxious as a stealth luxury – I did say Sorry, a stealth executive car out of a Golf R. What, What does that mean? It means that Volkswagen is not playing the same game that Honda is playing with the Type R or that Hyundai is playing with the Veloster or that Ford is playing with the Focus RS. They're playing an entirely different game, and they've been playing that game this whole time. We just didn't notice because it took long enough for the rest of the segment to catch up to them and kind of throw them into this stark contrast between what the Gulf R has to offer and what other true hot hatches have to offer. Okay, so you're going to have to break it down for me. I'm not as uh, I'm not as sharp as you are, so I know. we have to... We have to dumb it down here. What are you talking about? Okay. What are those other hot hatches doing that the Golf Golf R either does or doesn't do? Well, first of all, they're a lot faster for the most part uh, on a race. Track. Are they really? I mean, I always find that the Golf R, especially with that DSG, that du- that dual clutch transmission that you have, is plenty quick. It's plenty quick, but it's not uh, Civic Type R quick on a racetrack, nor is it Ford Focus RS quick. It's also not very engaging. It's a heavier car. It's thirty three hundred pounds with Oof. the DSG transmission. That is. 300 pounds more than a Veloster Type N, or a Veloster N, sorry, and it's about 200 pounds more than a Civic Type R. So that's a decent amount of weight okay, that you're yeah. giving up to the competition. And where that manifests itself is not really with the with the, the car's straight line speed. I mean, it does 60 and I think just under 5 seconds, which is about a full second faster than a GTI. But in a corner, it feels portly. It feels... Like a car that doesn't really want to be pushed hard, and there's not a lot of reward if you push it hard. There's just that engagement is more muted in this car than in any other hatchback in its price point or near its price point. And this all got me thinking while I was driving the car for hours and hours on the highway about just how much better the Golf R feels than any of the cars I just mentioned on a long trip. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. extremely comfortable, it is very composed, and it has a ton of straight-line power at highway speeds. The turbo, it it very responsive. Peak torque, I think, is at 1,800 RPM. So so it's got 280 pound-feet of torque, I believe, and 288 horsepower. And you can just dip in while you're cruising at low RPM on the highway and pass whoever you want. It's especially, this is the one area where the DSG automatic really kind of feels good. Um, Around town, I'm not a fan of it because I find there's, the, the car is weird in the sense that it has 
comfort, normal, and race mode. There's no sport mode. So if you really want to enhance your your forward momentum, you have to go into race mode. And then when you do that, things start to get jerky real quick. But on the highway, right. you don't you don't notice that because your, your passing maneuvers aren't as abrupt. Okay. So, so it was I just actually, okay. Fine. No, I, I'm starting to hear you a little bit more here because those other hot hatches that we described are like they're they're they take a platform that wasn't meant to go um on the track and be as sporty as possible they make those cards as sporty as possible by making them stiff um they try to maybe light weight and like lighten their their curb weight or well they don't have all-wheel uh, drive which is heavy and they don't have yeah. automatic transmissions which are also heavy so those are two yeah. big strikes against the golf R. Uh, and they end up being a little bit more um, unrefined in the process in terms of that daily driver ability that they that the Golf R clearly has um, significantly better drivability. Especially, I just like being in a Golf R. It never feels like a um, juvenile kind of hot hatch in the way that a Type R or um, a, a, a Focus RS can feel a little and, childish. And that's sometimes. because it's not a hot hatch. It is a stealth executive car. Executive and, car. And if the all-wheel drive system as well is it, it? It doesn't feel anything like a WRX STI's all-wheel drive system, which kind of like is pushing you to do crazy hood, hood yeah. and slides and stuff. And the Golf R is just like, no, there's going to be more traction, and that's yeah. that's just it. Doesn't have the same kind of okay, we're going to put power at the rear axle to give you fun. It's more like we're going to put power at the rear axle because you're doing something dangerous. You know, like right. it's very it's very competent to drive quickly. But at the same time, you never feel like the car is a co-conspirator. It's it's always like, you know, we can do this, but wouldn't you just rather relax? <laughs> That's kind of, kind of the feeling that I got mm. from it. Like it's a very powerful small car. And I, I think that there's room for that in the market. Yeah. And I think that Volkswagen's kind of the only company that's doing it outside of the luxury segment. And I mean, that's a very interesting distinction. I mean, there are some very interesting hot hatches that, I mean, not hot hatches, hatchbacks that are out there in the market. Well, actually, I can think of only just one. It's the new uh, Mercedes A-Class. And now in Canada, we get it with an all-wheel drive system um, as well as a hatchback. And it won't be as powerful, I think, unless you get one of those um, borderline AMG models. But it'll probably be much more expensive than what the Golf R is. How much was your Golf R? It was forty-two thousand in Canada. In okay. the United maybe, States, I did not I'm have mistaken. a good price. That is that is a little bit pricey. Yeah, it's it's an expensive car. It's let's put it this way: in Canada, it is twelve thousand dollars more than a G, than a base GTI. Wow. But in the U.S., I don't think the gap is as big. So the Golf R starts to actually, actually hold the phone, Sammy. Okay. The Golf R is 40000 U.S. Wow. <laughs> so in Canada, we're getting a huge deal if you take exchange <laughs> rates into account. It is way cheaper up here than it is down there. Um, okay. The GTI is 27595 So you're that's that's a big thing. Twelve, thirteen thousand dollar difference, and I think mm-hmm. the most, the best equipped version of the GTI, which is um, the Autobahn trim, is that what they call it? There, it might be something different. I'm going to look that up now, but uh, I think the best equipped version cuts that price difference in half. Okay, it is the Autobahn trim, so it's thirty five thousand. So yeah. you're ending up with a five thousand dollar difference, and, and that's uh, the GTI Autobahn has almost all the features that a Golf R has mm-hmm. in, in terms of equipment. So like you get the same safety gear, or at least the access to safety gear, because it's not necessarily standard. You get uh, the stereo system, the infotainment system, and all that, but you don't get the all wheel drive, and you don't get the horsepower. Okay, and I think that might be a good enough upgrade. I mean, at five thousand dollars, that's decent to get. The extra horsepower—it's a good chunk, isn't it? But Almost at twelve thousand, at twelve thousand, Sammy. Yeah, 
that's way worse. Are you? It's it's sixty eight more horsepower. But you're also getting, like I said, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, and I, I'm I'm digging deep in my memory banks here. But the Golf R has a really slick uh, interior. It's a very well sorted out interior. It doesn't look or feel as low rent as other Golfs ever did. Virtually I, identical to the GTI. You really think so? Yeah, I know so. Actually, I just did a comparison of my photos. Um. Now, the GTI, I remember, at least had that really um, colorful tartan interior cloth seats, which I always liked. But I don't think you can get those in the Golf R. No, you can't because you're not getting a Rabbit Edition, which is and, where I think that's the only place you can currently get them with the GTI. Okay. And you can get the Golf R with this really exclusive color treatment, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's, it's, called a really... spe- it's called Spectrum. And that's really nice, too. But it's not cheap. That's You're not looking cheap, at no? no, I, I so I'm, I'm again. I'm gonna have to look at the U.S. pricing right now. But when I when I built the Canadian model that I had, which had a color called Ginster Yellow, <laughs> I don't know how to even think what that color could. Yeah, be. what is so that? It's like it's like yellow, but more yellow. You know what I'm saying? Hey. But uh, gotcha. it was it was thousands <laughs> of dollars. Um, and uh, I'm looking at the Golf R now, and uh, let's see options. Why is it not letting me? It's not letting me add the colors. I don't know why. That's it's too only bad. Giving, I think it, it's, is it only a Canadian thing? I remember it being an exclusive Canadian thing that maybe the Americans were getting no, 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 it's, feeling it's, a little, left, little it's left out on. Definitely available in the U.S. now, but uh, for some reason they're only giving me three colors uh, on the build. So Yikes. maybe there's maybe you have to know a guy who knows a guy. I, I don't know. Um, now that's really interesting. I like the first of all. I love the customizability with that color. I think that really does help give your car so much more personality. But again, thousands of dollars. I know, but if you're going to spend all of the money on the most expensive, like you've already, when you get a when you pick a Golf R, you're picking a car that is going to be the most expensive Golf, which is a very affordable car in the in the first place. A Golf or a GTI is an affordable performance car, but when you get the Golf R version of it, you're you're like that doesn't matter to you. Affordability shouldn't be the the, the reason you're getting it. You're getting it because you, of how it makes you feel, maybe the connection you have with a Golf in your past. Um, it feels something special to you. you have that like um, that fanboyness to them. You know, you're loyal to the brand and the and the nameplate. And I can see people wanting to spend a little bit more on a car that makes them feel special. Um, but it's not. Car- it's not a little bit more. You know, like that's the thing with this car. And and it didn't make sense to me until I had this realization that it wasn't a hot hatch. And if it's not a hot hatch, it makes sense. It's if you want. And and I look at the demographic of people who buy this car, and they're often older. Yeah. And. They're people, I think, who want a powerful and comfortable car they can easily park and that doesn't draw a lot of attention. Because so, I, I mean, as long as you don't get that color scheme. As long as you don't get that color scheme. But it's just, there's virtually no difference between a GTI and a Golf R in terms of appearance. Like the grill's flipped right. at the front. It has four exhaust pipes and has R badges. That's pretty much the only difference. So you're not right. going to be – you're not going to be – it's not like a Veloster N and it's not like a, the hideous Civic Type R. Uh, so it's, it's, it's under the radar. And – I don't know if how many people want a car like this, but Volkswagen is the only one that's building it. And from that perspective, I like the car. Uh, I don't like the DSG. Again, I would get the manual because I want a little bit more engagement. But if you're going to be driving it every day and you want the stop-and-go automatic cruise control, that's the only way to get it. You can get adaptive cruise with the manual, but it doesn't do the stop-and-go thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. It was, it was an eye-raising, uh, eye-raising, eye-opening experience because before You're, this, yeah. before this, I had really considered that there was a big difference between the Audi S3 and the Golf R. But now I, I really think the only difference is probably the body style. Right, because you can only get the S3 with a in a sedan body style. Yeah, 
So this makes me think about what's going to happen in this segment, in, in Volkswagen's mindset. When they have that year or two without a Golf R, are they going to make a, 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 a Jetta version of this car, which is all-wheel drive? I don't think so. I can't no, I don't imagine think so. I think it's a totally so just different gonna, buyer. So they're just going to have nothing. Yeah, I think they're just going to – well, they didn't have – the Golf R hasn't been in North America for a long time. I mean – But it was here for a little while. Yeah, but and, it, and we just started getting used to it, it and now in, they're taking it away from us. But it was in Europe for much longer, so I don't think Volkswagen has many qualms. I, I don't think they sold a lot of them. <laughs> um, uh, so why wouldn't they have? That's my question. Because Americans because don't buy hatchbacks. Okay, period. It's that simple. Interesting. There was a moment where we were, we thought that the Golf R might survive the golf culling of 2020, but then that turned out to not be true. At least for the United States, we still don't know about Amer- uh, about Canadians who have been more receptive to hatchbacks. Well, no, it's going to come back. I don't doubt that. I don't think it's been culled. I just think that I just don't see it as a necessarily a priority for Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's it's nice for them to have it as a halo car. And it'll be interesting to see whether the next generation doubles down on what the current Golf R has to offer in terms of, you know, um, refinement and power, or if it just just goes in a different direction and tries to be more rambunctious, because Volkswagen can definitely build that kind of car. I mean, this is a company that used to build the R32, right? And that was a car that was kind of weird too. You could get it with, with they made a model with the uh, the VR6. Yeah, yeah, and that was like super front heavy and strange. <laughs> so um, like they'll they'll take risks. I want to go back to something that you were saying with these cars that are a bit like over the top in a way that you 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 don't. I don't know, like, the, you don't, like, connect to them in a way. There's a reason I really enjoy the Civic Si, because you can get it in this kind of two-mode kind of, like, experience. When you when you put a, a Civic Si, when you drive a Civic Si, normally, it's in a very, like, normal suspension setting, and it's got this dual-mode suspension that can make it quite stiff and, and exotic feeling. Not exotic feeling, sorry, but more engaging, and I love that about it. And so many other hot hatches or lukewarm um, performance cars are, like, they, either, they try to go as hardcore into that performance thing, and they just end up sacrificing the rest of the enjoyment of the car when you're not trying to drive it um, on, a, on, a, on a great road or a track. And I think that the Golf R has that like idea, that mindset that, you know what, you can have fun with this somewhere else, but the majority of time, the majority of the time you're driving it is going to be on the road, on the highway, and we've made a car that's, that's going to suit you for that. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to be taking the Golf R to autocross or a racetrack and putting up fast times. Like you'll, you'll, but you'll, you'll have fun with it. You'll, you'll be okay with it. You'll have some fun, but yeah. I don't think it's. I think it's a more insulated experience compared to other cars in that class. I think if that's what you're looking for, there are better mm-hmm. options, and I think Volkswagen is totally cool with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay. People who have that car can go to those um, really occasional events and still be like, "Oh yeah, my car is actually not that slow or not that um, basic. It's actually quite." Good. And then they can just drive it home and be happy with that. Um, anything else you want to add about this, Ben? No, not particularly. I just uh, – it's that sums up my thoughts. It's it's really – it's it's such a unique car. And I think that's cool because we often complain about how homogenous certain segments are. And if it's every – funny the way you say that. I mean it doesn't look like a unique car. It no, just but, looks like a golf. No, but, but I'm talking about the car itself, not mm-hmm. not its appearance. So, like, it, within its segment, it doesn't have any peers. There's no other car like this on the market at that price point. Every other car tries to be rambunctious. That's what it counts that as one of its main qualities. And right. the Golf R is disinterested 
yeah. in that in that description. So from that perspective, you know, we always complain about as all SUVs are the same. And for a while, uh, entry level luxury cars, they were all trying to be the three series. Mm-hmm. And then they started to put space between themselves. Still waiting for that to happen in the crossover world, by the way. But uh, for hot hatches, here's a company that's very authoritatively saying, no, we're not making a hot hatch. It's just a fast hatchback. So. Right. And I love I think that's a great way to put it. I, I do like that. They're putting this space away from, you know, putting their own spin on what that segment has traditionally been. And I think that's really important. Um, I actually always love it when an automaker or a car um, does that to you where you have to kind of like drive it and be like, I like what this is, but it's so far removed from what I'm supposed to like about this segment, if that's what makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that totally makes sense. And I try to think about some of the other cars that have done that. And um, I can't come up with one right now, but I'm sure by the end of the, the, the podcast or by next week's podcast, we can come up with something. Um, I think that's really neat. I can't wait to to read your stories on it. Where can, where can I read that story, Ben? There will be a story in Driving Line and a story at Auto Trader. Beautiful. And the one, at, the one at Driving Line really focuses on the uh, stealth executive car aspect of it. And I will, I will just keep on trucking along this podcast, and we're going to talk about the car that I drove, which is familiar to you in a way. Familiar uh, to all of our listeners, I think. Yeah, and me, my, even myself. I mean, uh, I drove the brand new 2019 Subaru BRZ, um, and in Canada, it has a special edition version called the Ryu edition, which is um, made with the. Um, it, it, it looks a lot like the U.S spec series gray but has a few additional which is a limited version of the car it comes with two, there's only 250 ver- versions of it um but in canada it seems like they get um less limited choices i guess you can just pick one up and see how many they have for you how many can uh, you buy in a row before subaru says okay you've had enough you've had clearly you enough. i don't know i haven't I, I mean as many i i'm actually sure that there aren't very many waiting at dealerships i think these are all they, they probably made a bunch of them in that and you're you're a brz owner right sammy i have the scion version of the 20 i have the 2013 scion frs i got it um very early on when it when it hit the market and was i that, really was do that enjoy. a graduation gift uh to myself i guess <laughs> <laughs> um actually i had graduated a, a while ago Ago. But um, this this Ryu edition is is actually kind of interesting looking because it's got these um, STI front lip spoiler and STI uh, side still and a rear um, valence, I guess. And it looks a little bit sharper than the Series Grey. I think that's really neat that the Canadians get a very unique look to the, um, the BRZ. And it's really funny because, you know, we were just talking, you know, the, the U.S. market sometimes really – um, dictates what happens in all of North America and what Canadians can get can can sacrifice a little bit. But there are a few small areas where that isn't the case. I mean, me and you both know the the Nissan Micra, which is a, a very affordable um, hatchback that isn't being offered in the U.S. at all. And so it's not always the case where the American market dictates what we get. And the Subaru BRZ Ryu edition seems to be one of those vehicles that are specific to the Canadian market in one way or another. Now, driving this thing is a lot like a uh, a limited edition or or top spec version of the BRZ. It has the um, same Saks performance dampers, the same Brembo brakes. It has uh, the exact same interior. 
Um, and same power too. The same power, 205 horsepower, which is uh, a sticking point for people with this with these cars. You know what they say: if you can't go fast with 205 horsepower, 206 horsepower isn't going to help you. Yes, that's exactly what they say. I've heard that say. I've heard that statement so much that if I got a nickel for every single time, I would have to count out all of those nickels. It would take at least a podcast to just count out the number of nickels. Stay tuned for Sammy's counting podcast. (laughs) I assume we'll get sued by Sesame Street at some point. (laughs) Uh, uh, It also has this... um uh, a short throw shifter, something that feels a little bit shorter than what I'm used to in my car. So I do notice a few differences there. And there's a different steering wheel um, from the 2013 model. This was, I think, that came out in the 2018 refresh. I love this car. I love driving it. Um, there have been some you know, noticeable changes, but I still think it's one of the most fun performance cars you can get. Um, without breaking the bank, uh, I think it looks great. I actually got a couple of people commenting about the cool khaki gray color of this um, BRZ, which isn't gray at all. It's like a light, light, light blue. Um, and you remember this, Ben. I think you've you've had a car like this. I had the exact same car, and we talked about it on the podcast. But go on. And you can see this cool khaki gray, I think, in a in other versions of the Subaru lineup. I think the Crosstrek is offered in a gray blue like this. Can I get uh, – does Subaru offer like a set of uh, – a series of apparel – that matches this color like can i get like pants a jacket maybe an undershirt in this cool khaki gray they should i mean i i mean if you would spend money on it and i know how hesitant you are to spend money on um car apparel then they should have it i mean they it would go nuts could i get someone from subaru to come to my garage and paint the floor cool khaki gray like and the walls no, 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 just the floor. I, would, I don't want to go overboard. I mean, and, and, and I, I want this as a perk. Like, I don't want to pay for it. Like, I feel like I've already paid for the car. Yeah. I feel like the trunk should be filled with jackets and, <laughs> and the floor should be painted. That's, that's, my, that's my deal or no deal with the salesperson when I'm trying to buy this cool khaki gray. I uh, think when we reach the end of life for the BRZ, that's exactly what we're going to see. They're going to be like, look, we saved all of our money not developing a new, more powerful engine. But instead, we have made so much gear and, and apparel for the car that you can just fall in love with. And you can give it to all your friends. And that's exactly what's going to happen. That definitely sure, feels right? like a Scion attitude. I feel like <laughs> Scion used to have so much merchandise and apparel. And they were just tossing it around like crazy. That's true. I mean, I, I'm driving this car and I keep wondering what, besides more power, what I would want out of this vehicle. And now I think with, with, the, with those like rose-colored glasses, there are a couple of things that just like, they hit me the wrong way. It's got this really, you know, I, I guess cheap is the best way to call it, but it has this really cheap feel throughout, um, including the gauge cluster where there's this tiny um, LCD display, which doesn't need to be there. My car doesn't have this, and I feel that's okay. But this one looks really, really... Um, Are we talking, like, 90s-era microwave Toyota Corolla clock? I mean, no. There? My car already has that. So, no, we're not talking about that. But, I mean, there's, a, there's like, a, an LCD screen, which is supposed to give you some uh, useful information. And it also, like, cuts into the tachometer in a way. And it, I mean, I'm sure it looked cool in sketches, but in in actual application, it looks a little um, silly. And I don't like it very much at all. Strong um, And it's got some um, different materials uh, on, the, on the door panels and, um, and, and other areas. I still find the same panel gaps in it that uh, I find in my seven-year-old car now. So I think 
you know, there's there was room for improvement that they haven't um, found. But still, the car is so much fun to drive. I can't get over that. Um, that's the main reason you get a car like this, not for the the, the, the gaps in in body panels. I or, think you get it for the cool khaki gray merchandise that that's is right. destined to show up at your home at some point. And I do think that there is also a little bit of a of a, a an ironic factor that's got all these STI badges on the side spoilers and uh, front lip spoiler, and there's no additional performance. And the only thing we know about STI is that they make this bonkers version of the Impreza, which is incredible to drive. Well, and if, we don't. I mean, we could put it in a wind tunnel maybe and see. You know, maybe that spoiler does something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe don't this maybe so. that spoiler won't rip off the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and all of our gear will go flying everywhere, right? Like that's yeah. what it's there for. Um, anything else that you want to add about the about the cool khaki blue, cool khaki no. gray? Cool khaki gray is blue. I mean, that's what we need to say. Unless my eyes are messed up, and am I wrong? Are you wrong? Who? What color is this car? It's hard to know what words like wrong and right mean in our lives at this point, Sammy. Why don't they call it cool khaki blue? It's probably trademarked. I I wouldn't be surprised if Levi's <laughs> owned that trademark. So they just went with gray. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Right, slide okay. it, slide it under the, slide it under the the letter of the law. Yes, of course. And just change the color completely. I mean, it's the different color. Um, yeah, that's it. I wanted to actually uh, talk about some things that we got, some notes that we got um, in last last week's podcast, specifically when we were riffing on our cat themed. Um, wasn't just part. cat. It was animal names. Was it animal? I thought it was just cat names. It was all animal names. Um, I think might have been cat. I don't know. I have a hard time. <laughs> I have a hard time remembering a lot of things. I do remember a lot of cat names in in, in that context. Um, he go. We we have a, a comment from uh, Corey Osgood who says, "I'm disappointed in you guys," which is something that my father says to me all the time. It's true. I've seen it. He says, you missed your chance to bring up the Hellcat again in your cat-named cars discussion. I can't there believe we didn't think of the Hellcat, especially since contractually we're obligated to mention the Hellcat every quarter. 17 times. Regardless of when or where, it just has to happen 17 times. I mean, it's like, it's a bingo. It's a, it's a part of our bingo card. Uh, he says, there was also the Mercury version of the Mustang, known as the Cougar. No, 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 no. The Mercury the version. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry, sorry. Continue. I was thinking of the Capri in the 80s, but no, that's 100% correct. And then Mercury's version of the Pinto was apparently the Bobcat, and their escort was the Lynx. Do you All think three that someone? Do <laughs> you think someone at Mercury was a furry <laughs> before this that guy? Not even. No, for sure. He he just had a copy of Cat Fancy on his desk, and he was just like, "Yeah, we'll name it the early '80s Mercury." Every no one had a word for furry at that point, but in the office there was that guy who came to came to work in a onesie. And no one would, like, he was really big, so no one would ever say anything to him about it. And he named all of their cars. All of Mercury's cars. Wow. How did you not realize this? I, how come I've never drawn that connection that Mercury was the car name, the cat named car? I don't know. I don't know. That's wild. Um, also, we had a quick conver- I had a quick conversation with a friend of mine and uh, another listener. His name is um, Gary. He sent me a, a comment after listening to our fo- uh, Mustang Bullet um, portion of the podcast and he said he would think that ford would be would, would would probably be what's the word i'm looking for he says that ford should do an eleanor tribute to the mustang based Ooh. on its appearance in uh gone in 60 seconds wait and, and but like because there's a new shelby G, G, yeah there is a new G, shelby coming gt500 
yeah. or whatever they're going to call it. Okay, well, Sammy. So, I mean, I think first of all, the Shelby, the Eleanor has like uh, a little bit of not a little bit. It has quite a bit of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cachet in some younger um, audience members' minds from people who were not around to watch Bullet when it happened and now can't stand through the slow pacing of a Steve McQueen movie. I think and, that I think that the movie. Gone is so. If you've seen the original Gone in sixty seconds, which is also borderline unwatchable, because it's like the the, the car chase in that movie is forty five minutes long, and uh, the car it's like a seventy three Mustang, and I believe it's yellow, like banana, like faded banana yellow. That's the Eleanor car there, and uh, not so great. Um, but the remake is an awful, awful film. I'm but it, sorry. it does have a gorgeous Mustang in it. It's not gorgeous. I think it's tacky. I think it's what? super tacky. What's tacky but a silver with black stripes? And all the and the entire contents of the J.C. Whitney catalog glued to the side? I am not wow. a fan of that car. That is insane. I can't imagine somebody finding that car unattractive. I also don't think Ford will ever commemorate a Nicolas Cage movie <laughs> in Why? the form First of an of official version of the Eleanor. And I would be surprised if some weirdo in Hollywood doesn't own the, the copyright to Eleanor and like mm. is has been milking Ford trying to get crazy money for it. Because remember, Ford doesn't own the copyright to uh, some of their past car names, like the Ford GT. The GT is called that because they lost the copyright to GT40. And someone tried to bilk them out of a lot of cash so they could call the GT the GT40 when they remade it in 2005. And they just eventually walked away from that negotiation. A patent troll is what you're saying. Yeah. So I'm saying there's an Eleanor gone in 60 seconds, Nick Cage's <laughs> third cousin patent troll who controls that IP. I honestly, I think your hate on the Eleanor GT500 is just about your Nicolas Cage um, hey, I celebrate stole... his entire body but of work, Sammy. Except you told that movie. me he stole your idea for National Treasure one and two, and you can't ever uh, forgive him for that. Look, I told him all of that in confidence as a friend, and then what happens two years later? I see a poster for National Treasure. I go watch the movie. It's like I'm. It's like I'd closed my eyes and fallen asleep because I dreamed everything that happened on that screen, Sammy. And that is an unnerving feeling. Yeah, I know. But you should. You should. And well, oh, hold on. We got to get back to this. This Mustang. We got to get back to this Mustang. The bullet. I'm. To me, I think the bullet just doesn't have as much. Um, because of that bullet Mustang, it just doesn't have as much sway in younger buyers' minds right. anymore. Oh, and that's why – okay, first of all, younger buyers don't buy $50,000 Mustangs. Boomers buy $50,000 Mustangs, and that's why they make the Steve McQueen – uh, association <laughs> and and I have another question for you, Sammy. Do you think young people find Nicolas Cage someone that they want to emulate? <laughs> like I is mean, he is he a role model? Do people look at Nick Cage and they're like, "What a cool guy"? I mean, or do they look at Nick Cage and go, "What exactly is happening right now?" <laughs> that's true. Um. That's very true, actually, the more I think about it. Um, I guess you're right. I mean... I mean, we're not talking about, like, a Samuel L. Jackson edition Mustang. (laughs) 
we're talking about. What about a John Wick themed Mustang? Okay, that there you go. Much? Okay, okay. You know, I'm just gonna say this: John Wick did not kill all those people for a Camaro. <laughs> That's true. So, but I mean, I was thinking about even if it was a boomer or uh, an older, um, an older buyer who wanted to get a car that could make him connect with the kids. You know, as all of the buyers of the the Bumblebee edition Camaro were all about. <laughs> I would love to see I would love to see what happens in that meeting room, like that boardroom when they're trying to connect. It's like that Steve Buscemi, hey fellow kids thing, yeah, you know? Like, yeah. That's what I think it would be like for like they're trying to do we make what what's do we make a Lindsay Lohan themed Camaro? Is is a Mustang? Is she still cool? I don't know. Um what about Miley Cyrus? Does she have a driver's license? You know, like they did it would just be a weirdly out of touch moment, and it wouldn't be like cool out of touch like Japan when they make crazy versions of the cars for the Japanese domestic market. Like no. remember when like a supermarket chain made a certain car? Yes, it would be more like the SpongeBob edition Toyota Highlander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would like, be like Adam. it would be like that, or like the, when they made the Looney Tunes M- Pontiac Montana. Yeah. That's the one. At least that makes sense. I mean, Looney Tunes, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know if kids still watch that stuff. I watched it when I was young, but I was young a million years ago. So it's hard to say whether the Looney Tunes still have cultural cachet. But at least kids, it's you know, kids can appreciate things that aren't cool because kids don't really care what's cool. They just care what they like. But I think if you're older and, and you're, you know, maybe trying to buy a cool car, you're more, you don't necessarily want the SpongeBob car. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that that sums it up for this week's um, podcast. But Ben, we have one more very important thing. I hope nobody just turned off the the, <laughs> the listen. The, they stopped listening as soon as I said that. Well, we have it, ver- one very important thing that we have to announce on the podcast. Actually, what a couple this? a couple things. Um, oh my bad. I thought yeah, it was one. The first thing I want to talk about is a couple of weeks ago we talked about the complete book of Porsche 911, mm-hmm. which I I had I reviewed. Um, it was it's a great coffee table book, but it's also as I mentioned really interesting and informative to read filled with beautiful photographs the publisher has reached out to us and they would like to offer two two copies of this book to any of our listeners in in the form of a contest so how we've decided to do it is if you want to write it to us via email if you want to get in touch with us on the homepage, um or if you want to get in touch with us on social media we will put your name in a random uh, number generator in the order in which it's received and then we'll just jumble it all up and we will have two of these books one two well one book for each winner two winners mailed out to you within the next month or so so if you could we're going to give you a week so that's sunday to sunday to get in touch with us let us know hey yeah i'd like to be entered in the contest and we will send you out one of these books and sammy if they want to get in touch with us how do they do that uh, well, I, rec- I recommend they use the internet and go um, to our website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. While you're there, you'll see a button, a contact form, and you just fill that out, send it, your, send it our way, and just be like, hey, I'd love, that, um, I'd love to be entered in that Porsche book giveaway. And uh, if you want to, if, if you don't use the, the, the web for personal reasons, I totally understand, you can email me directly, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com, or you can reach out to Sammy on Twitter. He's at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, or you can reach me on Instagram, which a lot of people have been doing, and I appreciate it. The uh, handle there is at huntingbenjamin. And unnamedautomotivepodcast.com also has all of the buttons to click on if you want to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher, if you want to go back in time and listen to... I think we're up to 145 episodes now. If you want to check out stuff from the past, each of our episodes is labeled with the vehicles that we talked about, and there's links to reviews and pictures of the vehicles that we've driven if you want to see those. 
There was also a, like a, a really steady moment in time when we got better in each podcast. So if you really want to laugh, listen to our first one. It's probably the the worst podcast ever made, um, and it's a huge, huge change from where we're at right now. <laughs> and uh, just before we sign off, there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about um, today, and it's uh, this week someone in our industry was killed doing what she loved. Uh, Jesse Combs, who is the had the title of the fastest woman on four wheels, she is someone that. I met very early on in my career. I think it was 2013, and uh, she had a had a huge impact on a lot of people. She was someone who was on television. She was someone who was in print. She was did a lot of web video for so many different publications, and uh, she was killed um, trying to break her own record, uh, her own land speed record at Bonneville Salt Flats. And um, I'm never going to forget the fact that she was someone who was very kind to me when I was first starting out. And she never she didn't have any reason to do that. She didn't have to be as nice or as kind as she was. And I just wish there were more people like her in this industry. And I know she inspired a lot of people, including myself, to uh, be better than I am at what I do. So she's really going to be missed. Absolutely. So our condolences to her family. And I mean, the, the whole industry is kind of reeling from this news. It's really sad stuff. So for uh, everyone uh, who's listening, um, keep doing what you love and uh, keep reaching for your dreams. Absolutely. thank Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you next week.